Chuck Lawless is the Dean of Doctoral Studies and Vice President of Spiritual Formation and Ministry at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He's also a professor of evangelism and missions. And much like individuals like George Barna and Dave Kinnaman and Gabe Blinds and Ed Stetzer and Tom Rainer and, and others, Lawless spends a lot of time looking at uh, spirituality and, and religion across our country, and, and particularly uh, his expertise is in evangelism and uh, how Christians share their faith and methodology, what might be effective, what might not be effective in, in reaching those, in, particularly in our country, who don't know uh, Jesus. Just this past May, on, on his blog, he listed nine reasons Christians don't evangelize. And he mentions in this, in this little blog post, these aren't in any particular order. Just observations that he has made as uh, he teaches evangelism classes and as he interacts with churches across America. Number one, many don't know what evangelism is. Number two, we have few evangelistic role models. Number three, some church members aren't convinced about lostness. Number four, some churches have provided no evangelism training. Number five, fear of the unknown halts our efforts. Our passion for Jesus has settled into mediocrity. Number seven, leaders aren't taking the lead in evangelism. Number eight, we don't really know many lost people anyway. And number nine, we don't care about non-believers. Well, why are we reluctant to evangelism? We, we just recently concluded a, a series of, of sermons that uh, were affiliated with Connect with God, uh, the first prong, if you will, of our mission or vision statement. And in that very first lesson, I argued that making disciples uh, an obedient response to the Great Commission should be our number one priority as God's people today. But we also made the point we can't make disciples unless we are disciples. And so we spent several Sundays talking about what it means to be a disciple. So now that we understand that, and, and now that we are, are all focused on, upon what we should be as a disciple of Jesus, I want us to go back and now talk about making disciples and, and talk a little bit about the dreaded E-word, evangelism. And you're going you're gonna to hear me as, as time progresses. You know, I have my own list of things that a person has to do in order to go to heaven. And knocking doors ought to be one of those things, right? Those of us who, who 
are from that generation, we all remember knocking doors, don't we? Many of us. And, and for whatever reason, you know, that methodology maybe has uh, gone by the wayside, but I can remember at a very early age knocking doors for the purpose of evangelism. And so because I had to do it, I think everybody should have to do it and just experience that a little bit. Now, we're not going to conclude this series of sermons and have a big door-knocking campaign, although maybe we should. But the purpose of these next several lessons is to get us to just kind of rethink a little bit our own apparent reluctance to be more willing to share our faith. And there are any number of places that really we could go uh, to maybe encourage us or challenge us uh, to be more evangelistic. But I actually want to go to the Old Testament. And I want us to study over the next four Sundays the prophet Jonah. Jonah has become my favorite story in the Old Testament. And, and maybe it's, it's because I can kind of relate to Jonah. All right? we, we had a Bible study this past Thursday night, and uh, a number of us uh, men, uh, primarily men younger than I am, which is always kind of neat and cool when younger men will hang out with me. But we talked about uh, Jonah, and, and several made the point that they can really identify with Jonah and and the reluctance that we see in his life uh, to be uh, a missionary. And so over the next uh, few Sundays, we're going to talk about Jonah. And if you were here last week, I even gave us all a little bit of homework uh, over the next few weeks to be reading uh, Jonah. It's only four chapters, and it's a very quick read. And so I would encourage you to read it and read it and and read it. And in fact, Lori, I think, was on uh, Facebook or someplace last night and saw someone who had posted a picture of their Bible open to Jonah And it said, this is what happens when your preacher gives you homework. I'm not going to tell you who did that. But I love that. I love that. Uh, Okay? So we're going to study Jonah chapter 1 this morning. But before we uh, get to chapter 1, let me go back and just talk a little bit about, first of all, Jonah the man and then Jonah the book. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, the message. First of all, his name means dove, which is kind of interesting, right? Normally, when you read a story from Scripture, there is usually significance attached uh, to the person's uh, name. And there are a lot of interesting ideas as to why Jonah... Uh, name might mean dove and what the significance of that is. He was also the son of Amittai. Amittai means my truth. Jonah was from a little village in the northern kingdom of Israel, Gath-Hefer, near uh, Nazareth, just about three miles northeast of Nazareth. 
Jonah is mentioned one other time uh, in, in the Old Testament in relationship to his prophetic ministry. 2 Kings 14.25 tells us that Jonah prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II. And we can date Jeroboam's reign from about 786 B.C. until about 746 B.C. And so we can kind of place uh, Jonah's ministry maybe at the beginning of that reign or about uh, 780 uh, B.C. And here is what's interesting about the reign of Jeroboam II. You'll, you'll remember from a study of Old Testament history that when the kingdom divided into the north and the south, there is not one single king in the north who was faithful to God. And yet during the reign of Jeroboam II, God blessed the northern kingdom. They enjoyed a time of peace and prosperity. Uh, the, the borders of, of the northern kingdom uh, expanded. And, and this all occurred based on the prophetic word of Jonah. The other interesting thing about this, we know that, that Jonah is being sent to the city of Nineveh, capital city of Assyria. And at this time, Assyria was in a state of decline, very corrupt. The nation was crumbling, we might say. But in 722 B.C., not long after Jonah's message to them, they will come down from the north and they will carry the northern kingdom of Israel into uh, captivity. So there is a, a, a little uh, brief historical background about Jonah the man and a little bit about the times and circumstances in which God told him uh, to go to the city of Nineveh. But now let's talk about four approaches to uh, the message or the book of Jonah. Uh, there are those who will argue that it concerns repentance to encourage the Jews to repent, to show the possibility of repenting, to identify repentance as the proper response to prophecy, and to help us better understand what it means to biblically repent. A second approach contrasts God's justice versus God's mercy. And so it illustrates the divine attributes of God. It affirms God's freedom to show mercy. It explores the relationship between God's grace and, and God's justice and uh, perhaps can help us better understand uh, the, uh, the divine attributes of God and who God uh, is. A third approach criticizes Jonah's stubborn refusal to prophesy against Nineveh. And in this sense, is teaching the importance of obedience, to understand the role of prophecy or proclamation, proclaiming the word of God, to comprehend what the role of the, 
of the proclaimer uh, is. And then finally, the fourth approach corrects Jewish attitudes toward Gentiles. And so this approach would encourage a missionary concern to perhaps condemn Jewish exclusivism, to reprimand the Jews' reaction to God actually forgiving Gentiles, or in this case, the enemy, a nation that would eventually come down and uh, conquer a portion of, of God's uh, people. And so I don't know that it's necessary to say uh, one approach uh, should override another, but at least in our context, for the purpose of uh, this series of sermons, I would say that we will try to emphasize number three and number four. All right? Again, to help us be more obed uh, obedient when it comes to fulfilling uh, the Great uh, Commission and to maybe even challenge some of the attitudes that we might be tempted to have towards those who are different from us, who disagree with us, uh, who perhaps are unbelievers in the challenge that come that can often come with sharing our faith uh, to these people. Jonah is a very simple book uh, to outline, and I don't think you get any better than uh, the outline that was suggested uh, by a man named Kyle Yates over 50 years ago in his little book, Preaching from the Prophets. Everybody seems uh, to use uh, this particular uh, outline. I have kind of reworked the P's that you're going to see. Chapter 1, Running from God, where we have Jonah protesting. Chapter 2, running to God as Jonah prays to God from the belly of the great fish. Chapter 3, running with God as we see Jonah fulfilling his commission and preaching uh, to the residents of the city of Nineveh. And then chapter 4, running ahead of God, we will see Jonah pouting because of God's mercy that he extends to the Ninevites. Right. So with that kind of brief introduction into uh, the book of Jonah and the man Jonah, let's look at chapter 1 uh, very quickly. And uh, Jonah is just, there's so many lessons uh, from this particular uh, story. So many uh, uh, ways that we could, we could apply some things but let's read, uh, read through uh, chapter 1. And I want us to notice particularly the use of the word great. I think the word great is used 12 or 13 times in, in the book. And it's found several times uh, in the, uh, the first chapter. And in fact, I would divide or outline chapter 1 based upon the word great. And so section 1 would be uh, verses 1 through 3 where we read about Nineveh, the great city. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord 
So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Section 2, we read about a great wind and a great storm that God causes to rise upon the sea because of Jonah's disobedience. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now. On whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, And they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Lord, has done as thou hast pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped It's raging. A great city, a great storm. And then verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord greatly. The Hebrew reads literally, they feared with a great fear. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And then finally, in verse 17, as chapter 1 closes, we find the final occurrence of the word great. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. I love what G. Campbell Morgan wrote in uh, his commentary on Jonah. Men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. I wished I'd have said that. And and so here we have Jonah in chapter 1, 
He's received this call, this commission from God to go to Nineveh, a distance of several days' journey, and to preach to the enemy. In, in Jonah, I, I can't help but, but be convinced that he had a little insight into what was going to happen. I mean, as we continue through this, we, we're going to know that, that Jonah knew his God and knew the divine attributes of his God. And, and he seems to even understand that at some point in the not-too-distant future, God was going to use this ungodly nation to punish his own uh, people. Hence his reluctance to go evangelize. Chapter 1. Protesting with God. Let me suggest this morning five uh, points to ponder, if you will, as we think about maybe our own reluctance and again, with, with the purpose of, of maybe overcoming some of our reluctance to be uh, more evangelistic and willing to share our faith in our own lives. First of all, evangelism is at stake. You go back to chapter 1 and, and verse 1, it begins with the word of the Lord. That's significant. Priority is placed at the very beginning of this narrative on the word of the Lord. And so God's word was at stake in the prophetic ministry of Jonah. And it remains at stake in our own ministry today. The word of the Lord has come to us. And... Be because of who we are as disciples, our own response to the Great Commission to take the word of Jesus into a lost and dying world becomes our own responsibility today. Why is this important? Because the future of God's kingdom is at stake. Now, I, I assume that everyone here this morning loves God and loves the Lord, and because where we are in our life's journey or circumstance, we love this church. And in, in 30 years, I, you know, I might still be here in 30 years. I don't know, okay? But, but some of us won't be. But don't we still want this church to be here, right? right? So we have to prepare for that future. And, and, and one thing, one, one thing that, that I'm convinced we, we need to do here at Lamar Avenue is get younger. You know, especially be sen sensitive to sharing our faith and teaching younger people who will be here in 30 and 40 and 50 years as we pass the torch from generation to generation, and as God continues to use uh, this church to be a light uh, to this community. Number two, if God says go, don't say no. I worked hard on that one, okay? I expected more than just one amen, 
All right, let me, so let me say it again. If God says go, don't say no. Yeah. We had a really, again, we had a really interesting discussion about, about this point uh, this past Thursday night, all right? When, when, when the text says that, that Jonah attempted to flee God's presence, Jonah knew he could go to Tarshish or Timbuktu, and God would still know where he is. That, that's not what, what he was trying to do. Okay, because he knew that was impossible. Anywhere he went on this, in this world, God would know where he is. But by fleeing from his presence, and, and scholars debate even to this day exactly where Tarshish is, the point is it was the opposite direction from Nineveh. It was symbolic of just leaving. And so to flee from God's presence for Jonah was to maybe hope he would reach a place and God might choose someone else. God might just get frustrated with Jonah and just say, let him go. I'll raise up someone else to go proclaim to Nineveh. And so... I mean, I, I kind of, I can relate here, all right? We went through this process together, okay? And after much prayer and some meetings, I called my friend Doug Peters, also with IMP. And I said, okay, Doug, help me better understand this, this whole IMP process, and so we had an hour and 15-minute conversation. And so we got to the end of that conversation, and I said, okay, Doug, here's what you're telling me. If I say no to Lamar Avenue, I'm saying no to God. He said, yeah, you basically got it. And I said, well, so if I do say no, and I, am I going to wind up in the belly of a great fish? And he said... I'm not going to say you're not. All right? And, and so when, when God, God says to go, just go. Just do it. Just do it. You know, why let Nike have the best slogans? Okay? So we, we got to understand this obedience. Number three, the presence we flee is actually the presence we need. Right? Jonah, in trying, in trying to get out of this assignment, if you will, by, by fleeing to Tarshish, wherever that was, right, he, he's going to eventually understand, even though when we get to chapter 4, he's, he's not going to like it. He's not going to like the response. You know, he has a whole city respond to the invitation, and he's upset. Only preacher I've ever known upset about a whole city responding to the invitation, okay? But he's going to learn that in trying to flee from God, he really needs God. And, and so how many times do we, do we question God? Do we say, God, where are you? And so we just think, okay, I'm out of here. 
when, when in reality it, it needs to be God that we're going to. God just kind of let Jonah go. And, and then he began to discipline and, and, and taught, Jonah, taught Jonah some lessons. Right? And when we get to the end of this series, at the end of chapter 4, you'll have to make up your mind if Jonah ever got it or not. Okay? But we need to get it. Right? Because, number 4, Jonah's struggle with God endangered others. Okay? He gets on this boat... He goes down into the very bottom of the ship. Um, some, some have suggested he's, he's maybe even kind of hiding down among the cargo. And when the sailors begin to throw cargo out, uh, they find Jonah and say, Hey, what are you doing asleep here? Yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of like I never understood how Lori could sleep through a tornado siren. But she can. I don't. All right? and, and here's Jonah sleeping through the tornado. All right? Because he's just kind of let it go. And, and his disobedience endangered the lives of these sailors. All right, parents. Think, think, about, think about this. How we can respond to life in life circumstances, in certain situations, in, in, in ways in, in which we're fleeing the presence of God and our children are watching. Right? And it doesn't even have to be our children. It can be other family members, it can be friends, it can be co-workers. All right? and, and, so, and so understanding to, to never flee from God's presence, but presence, but towards, and, and again, to realize the impact and the influence that we can have upon others. And then finally, number five, Jonah's deep sleep below the deck of the ship reveals his indifference to the assigned task. Jesus, through the apostle John in Revelation 3, this is basically what he is saying to the church in Laodicea. The word there is lukewarm. Just kind of apathy. Just indifference. And, and so on, on one level, when, when perhaps we don't look at our lives as necessarily being just blatant disobedience... It, it might be just apathy, indifference, a lack of concern, which is disobedience. And, and so taking very seriously this, this task, this great commission, and, and if you go all the way back to the second Sunday in September, we talked about why that Great Commission is so great. Because it comes from a great God, and it centers around a great uh, Savior, and it's a great responsibility, and there's a great promise uh, attached as we go out into this world. And so the story of Jonah is a missionary story. It's a challenge to the people of God to be a missionary people. 
and to trust in a God who have mercy even on the enemy, even upon those who are different from us, even upon those who disagree with us. I, 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 go, by, I, I go back to the, to the meaning of his father's name, my truth. Right? That's a reference to God's truth. Right? What does truth have to be afraid of? And, and so why, why wouldn't we take advantage of any opportunity we might have to go and speak the truth, God's truth? Right. Th- that wasn't in my notes. I, I got the preaching there a little bit. All right. So we must reassess our own calling and message as we are honest and conscious of our own reluctance to be missionaries, to be servants, to be obedient to the Great Commission. May our number one priority as the Lamar Avenue Church of Christ be to make disciples. Let's stand and sing.